The following is a sponsored program on 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this program are solely those of the individuals or participants involved and do not necessarily represent those of Braden Madison Broadcasting or its employees. 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday morning at 10 AM. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlight, Jeff Shannon. Well, good morning. Welcome to Sumner County Spotlight. And, uh, well, we survived Snowmageddon <laughs> so far anyway. So I wanted to kind of rehash what happened here in the last couple of weeks. You know, we were hit by the tornado. We got slammed with that and then following on the heels of that. Uh, then we get this this thing coming through. So I wanted to bring in the experts here to talk about it. And of course, I have our director of Sumner County EMA, Ken Widener, and then our road superintendent here in Sumner County, Toby Ellis, uh, because they're right there in the forefront of all this. And you know, there's just a lot to talk about. But Ken, I want to start off with you if we could, because right at the beginning, I mean, you always are looking ahead of the game when you know a front's coming through and you're analyzing that, you're using the experts and the resources that you have to realize, hey, this this could possibly happen and you're prepared for it. So just kind of walk us through how this happened. Yeah, yeah well, so weather prediction is so hard. We're, we're so accustomed to hearing a forecast and that forecast change. So when the models, and these are just models, and there are four or five models that we look at, when they are beyond a day or two out, they're not extremely accurate. Early on, they were saying we could get a lot, actually more snow than we got, uh, than we actually got. So what we do is we communicate with a lot of different people, a lot of different meteorologists. We look at different models. We actually talk to meteorologists that aren't in this area mm-hmm. so they can look at it from an outside perspective looking in. Our meteorologists are really effective a day or two out. Um, it was all over the place in regards to what they were going to get. I was actually in duck camp when, when the forecast of, of heavy, heavy snow came out, and uh, I wanted to stay, and the guy said, oh, we can't get stuck in Mississippi with snow and ice, so we headed back the day before. So we were just ahead of it, and then, then the snow began to fall, and and, you know, we had some places in the county where we got probably more than eight inches. And uh, my house out in Castaigne Springs, we got seven inches. And that's, that's measuring it with a measuring tape on a, on a clear surface, you know, on a surface that didn't have any trees or anything around mm-hmm. it. But what really got us was, and, and, and I know Toby's going to get into the, the road clearing, but my experience was I shoveled the pad in front of my house three times. And that's where people get out, where my grandkids get out, where mm-hmm. I, try, I, I try to keep it clear. And the third time I shoveled, I said, why didn't I wait till this stops snowing to shovel it? <laughs> yeah, you know? it's no fun to do that, I can so, tell you that. <laughs> um, the good thing was I told, y'all please don't drive on this until I get it shoveled. So after the third time, and I'm glad I did that because then those frigid temperatures came behind it. And, and we had temperatures anywhere from just below freezing to below zero mm-hmm. i got in the truck one morning about 4 30 and my my truck thermometer is reading a negative temperature so the snow and then the frigid temps and then you know we communicate a lot with director of schools and and push a lot of information out to mayors police chiefs fire chiefs all public safety hospitals chambers of commerce utilities groups which they are they're on it as well as far as watching the weather, you know, you've got to just stay on it and push out as much information as you can, but not make people complacent. You don't right. want it. You know, I don't want people to get an email from me and say, oh, that's another email from Ken. I'm not going to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. I want them to at least look at it or look at the situation report that we send out to see what the National Weather Service is saying. Right. And, and we got information from you a few times and, you know, we want to push that out as quick as possible. But knowing everybody says, well, it's this right now, but just wait this afternoon will be totally different. I mean, that's how Middle Tennessee is. It changes, you know, from day to day and trying to keep up with that. But that's where, you know, these forecasting models, I guess, come in, into play, knowing that they're all not going to, you know, which one do you pick? I mean, it could change if the wind shifts or what have you, right? Yeah, and, and the topography of Sumner County. So down here, when you go to the lake here in Hendersonville, we're at 400 444 and a half feet of elevation and then when we when we transverse the county south to north uh, we end up with some 1260s 1300 feet of elevation westmoreland oak grove portland the ridge line mm-hmm. um across new deal and over to over to millersville so generally because of temperature differences we have worse weather up north but in this situation, I think it was the same across the county. Mm-hmm. And then when we got the freezing rain, the freezing rain was the worst thing we had um, in regards to, to moving around, keeping the I – mean, we, had, we had situations, I think, Friday where record companies 
weren't responding to pull people off of hills and we were having to take our trucks just to clear just to get <laughs> yeah. vehicles out of the roadway Jeez. and i would have police officers look at me and they say hey you can't pull that i'm like well just sit back and let us do our stuff and we'll get this road open right. we'll let try. me let me so, show you something um, so um you know and he the, did i went i i saw it for myself so the <laughs> the freezing rain and then three inches of snow on top of that put us right back where we were with five six seven eight inches of snow in regards to roadway so that that's one reason we um you know we didn't see a lot of traffic which was great um then uh, you know i don't it doesn't matter what the director of schools does somebody's not going to be happy yeah but you've got to make the best decision for the kids and the staff uh, and the parents of Sumner County. Well, and even that Dr. Langford was putting this information out, and you know they would they would evaluate it and say, well, we'll make an announcement f- uh, five o'clock tomorrow. So he would take the full scope of everything and keep and say, okay, five o'clock, that's when we're going to call it. And he, he was pretty much right. But a lot of people say, why are they closing schools? And, you know, they see it like it it is right now, but they're not understanding these big old buses. They can't navigate on that stuff it's going like into some of these back en- roads. Like a fire engine that swapped ends. Yeah, the big ladder truck that is, is all over social media. That he was on ice, uh, and and he had no control of the vehicle. And, mm-hmm. and Toby and I are a part of of what the schools do. We're out with them. Their staff is out, law enforcement's out, and I'm sure other public works personnel to ask what things look like because you got to get out and look at it. You can't you can't just take it from someone. And I'm saying a citizen to say, hey, this is bad. Mm-hmm. We got to we got to put we got to put eyes on it. Yeah, and they do. They, their staff gets out. My staff gets out. Toby gets out. And, and we drive these roads, and we look at them, we take pictures, and we, we evaluate them um, when, they're look, when they're working to make that decision. Well, too, and you guys were out at, you know, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and that's, geez, <laughs> that had to be scary. I mean, getting out there with, with Toby, I mean, you got to drive these roads, and you're not just picking these, you know, the well-traveled ones. you got to head back right. in the country. <laughs> right, right. Uh... Sure. And, you know, of course, schools are open right now. Um, but again, you know, you, you, that's why you have this, this effort with everybody talking to each other and you've got that communication, right. which I think is, is excellent to have because you have to have it to, for people to make right decisions. Well, Ken does a wonderful job. I, I know you don't know the, the behind the scenes, but just keeping in contact with us, the sheriff, uh, EMS, everybody. He sends out emails every day we talk every day and if there's any change in the weather patterns or anything ken's on top of it Mm -hmm. and that really helps with our planning on what we need to do as a highway department and how we can best serve the county Mm -hmm. explain to us and i think a lot of people don't realize this that they're saying why aren't they salting these roads why aren't they doing this why are they how come they're not uh, you know getting rid of this stuff and there's a temperature factor in there there is a temperature factor and i'll start from early on in this this winter storm we actually got out on saturday and sunday before it hit and we prepped and brined all the county roads ahead of time Mm. and of course you know the information that ken was putting out and some of the information we've seen you know it started out early on that we were talking one to three three to five could be up to eight inches and so we didn't know and some people uh did a better job than others but i mean we were staying informed and as it was changing ken was really letting us know but we went ahead and prepped all the county roads with brian and the thing that it does is this if the temperatures is 20 degrees and rising and the temperature's right that the brine will work as the snow's falling Mm -hmm. so i did that first with hopes of if the temperatures actually uh worked with us you know then we wouldn't see as much accumulation and it would melt as we went through the storm and we wouldn't have as much accumulation Mm -hmm. but what happened was the temperatures certainly didn't work with us so one of the things that we were having to deal with was when it came in we had portland and westmoreland eight and maybe a little more than eight in some places Mm -hmm. but and and the temperatures started dropping and we started getting single digits and i i can tell you it's been a long time since we've seen weather in the single digits every day for a period of five days you that'll, know that'll usually, freeze things up real quick <laughs> it really freezes us up so you know i was talking i'm in communication with all the other road superintendents for all the other counties around us and we're discussing and you know that monday when the storm was was coming down you know we were doing some things but the thing was you had so much snow falling it it didn't matter what you did it was just going to be a lost time we really kicked it in gear and started plowing and uh, salting and doing as much as we can that the weather would allow because when it's dropping in 
in the single digits at night, there's there's no effect. Mm -hmm. You're really wasting your time. Monday and Tuesday, we didn't really get any sunlight. The temperatures we need is 20 and rising for the salt to activate, or at least to be a pretty day where the sun is out and we have a nice sunny day. Then you can see in the mid-teens the salt taking effect and actually melting them. So that was the biggest complaint. We were out there. I was getting calls where people were, hey, you hadn't even plowed my road. And I said, what road do you live on? I said, we've already plowed it and salted it twice. And I said, here's the things. You know, 109 is clear, gets magically clear just right away, but they don't have a tree line within 100 yards of each side of it. It's not shaded. It's open to the environments, mm-hmm. and it's it's level. You can go in there and blade it and salt it, and it, it can melt relatively quick. And so the problems that I have is I've got roads anywhere from 22 foot wide to 12 foot wide, up hills and hollows, beside creeks. It They're just tough. So if you're sliding off the road, guess what? Guess who's pulling his trucks yes. out of the ditch? <laughs> That's you know, right. we're, yeah. we're sliding off the road roads as well and i can tell you you had one sick road superintendent on thursday morning i was standing on a roadway at three o'clock in the morning and looking at all these roads we had gotten worked hard and got cleared and i'm actually standing there on a solid sheet of ice standing still just sliding off the road on my bare feet i pulled up to this guy he was (laughs) off in the ditch and it was so early i was worried about him it was it was five degrees and i said is there any way i can help you and he looked at me says no toby i'm fine i live right there and he was literally he had pulled out of his driveway and slid in the ditch he had had gotten 50 foot (laughs) so we had a nice chuckle i said well i just wanted to make sure you're okay i just wanted to see what was going on people didn't really see the effort behind the push that we were given i mean our guys we got 15 trucks dressed plowing salting two graders and we got 800 miles of roadway to cover and Mm -hmm. so the strategy is to go in and get the main arteries first work very hard to get them cleared out and start working on the secondary roads and going back and create that system and so what happened it was a perfect storm we had temperatures that you know i guess after a while we knew they were coming but we were hoping for the best that maybe it wouldn't get that cold so we really struggled getting the clearing that we needed if it had been in the 20s and 30s these roads would have been cleared so fast it y'all would it it would have been amazing and so the effort was there but when we come into Thursday and we had that sleet and rain and some of that snow there, it really was almost like starting over again. That's right. Then the temperatures drop and freeze that. It did. And a lot of people don't realize that, I mean, that stuff, you see that nice powder, which was a nice powder at to start with. But once it started melting a little bit, then it froze up underneath. And then you don't see that. And next thing you know, here we go. And, I, and another thing Ken does that's, I mean, he's such a good partner. We, we communicate well together, but it was just, you know, he does a great job communicating. And so we try to send out video communicate on social media Mm -hmm. asking people please to stay home and for the most part i think people really they tried to do that it it was something that i know friday it was like a ghost town everywhere we were working which is good because i don't like my trucks salting and plowing with a lot of traffic around them right you know it creates a bad environment for somebody to get hurt or run off the road and create another problem sure and you know you get a lot of these people that have moved to our area from Chicago and New York and to them hey this is no big deal so they're getting out there in this mess but guess what <laughs> ice is ice I mean you you right. know once it starts taking you forget you how are you going to handle it? it it's it's just great advice or straight on that stay in your house don't even bother to go out right. and that's why and I see your the videos and the the post that you would do each morning and it, it really was kind of an eye-opener because you're out there in it right. saying this is the condition right now so that that's right. great that we have that communication right. and Ken you I mean you're staying on top of all this uh, you know constantly and you've got all of these these resources that you've utilized and create these partnerships with them so you know you're getting good information and and we work through the state emergency operations center and, and we do a lot through them and if we have additional needs here we've got that but the way the highway departments from county to county network they work with each other and and this is pretty much a thing where this was widespread covered pretty much the whole state all the way down into alabama mm-hmm so it wasn't a situation where if they needed help, they could call for help. They just had to take care of what they had. And, and they, for the most part, got the resources they need. If we had this more consistently, I would think more more resources would be needed. But I said this on actually on, on a TV station, that back during the tornadoes, the power companies really, they shined. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they got power up in a hurry. And although there were some complaints, and there are always going to be complaints, then our road crews, they shined on this one. It took a little longer because conditions kept throwing throwing things at them sure. to make it worse and making it harder to get roadways open. Right. But, uh, you know, we, we our guys have been all over this county. You know, we, we know a lot of the problem areas, and we actually identified one day. We identified with, with school personnel, law enforcement, and county highway 
we identified by list a bunch of roads that are problematic and we were scheduled to uh, we were going to look at them we're going to look at them monday afternoon and make a decision on schools for tuesday but i think there was enough evidence through the day monday to say we're not going to have schools on tuesday but we were we were set up to get out at three that morning and have law enforcement check some of these problematic roads report back to the dispatch center create a list of good or bad go or no go well i mean there's a lot to this and gosh we have so much more to talk about take just a quick break and we'll be right back with more of sumner county spotlight you've been listening to sumner county spotlight with jeff shannon a public affairs program heard right here at whin you can also hear this broadcast and other episodes on our podcast page at whinradio.com and if you'd like to appear on this program just send me an email to jeff at whinradio.com stand by we'll be right back with more of sumner county spotlight and we're back with Sumner County Spotlight with Jeff Shannon right here this uh, Sunday morning. Uh, don't forget, this uh, will be available on our podcast page at whinradio.com under the podcast tab. Like I said, just look for Sumner County Spotlight. You know, uh, Toby, we, we were, were talking and we just actually just made a realization that we came from an incredible massive tornado that devastated Hendersonville and then Sumner County, leading right into a windstorm and then right into this uh, snowmageddon thing. That had to be, uh, had to wear you out a little bit. <laughs> Man, it, it has really been... It's been tough on the cruise, the time that away from family and just lack of sleep, to be honest with you. I can't brag on our departments enough. You know, Sheriff's Department, EMA, EMS, the highway department, the electric companies, the utility companies, the other cities, people calling to ask, hey, can we help you? State Chip, the director of Region 3, he was on the phone with me the night that the tornado happened. He says, what do you need? And that's the kind of stuff, that's the kind of response you want. It's really gratifying when people call and says, what can I do for you? Yes, absolutely. And we were working as a, a well-oiled machine, I'll just tell you that. And our crews went out. We worked that Saturday night when the tornado came through. We worked all night into Sunday and then into that evening and we had every county road open and passable to where there was no roadblocks anywhere in the county and so every road was clear of course the next two weeks we spend cleaning and doing brush pickup (laughs) and we're still picking up some brush to where people are just third or fourth time out because they still got stuff in their yard that they're bringing out to the road we've picked up over 500 loads of brush since the tornado and then it was not quite as bad but then we had the strong windstorm that come through that was pretty bad as well Mm -hmm. and then you roll into the blizzard so (laughs) we have been very busy it's been something it's let us know where if we have weaknesses where they're at and what we can do better luckily we have got a strategic plan in place for the blizzards we've got mapping systems areas that trucks what trucks and drivers handle which area and they got a map of the areas they know exactly what their roads are and then what we do is we go out as a team We cover those areas, and then we use the extra trucks to start going into the other bigger areas to help the other teams. It's a a pretty good process. Everybody knows where to go. And so we didn't get caught. We've had meetings about it. We're prepared. And I guess the moms at home was tired of the kids being at home and wanted the roads clear so the kids could go back to school, right? And you know, the, the one thing, and you've probably heard this criticism, they go, why don't you just get some more trucks? You don't have enough trucks out there. Right. But how can you justify spending 250 grand on a truck you might sure. use every four or five years? You know, right. like, you know, I was talking to the road superintendent, Robertson County. He says, I've been here 20 years and I don't remember a front or a storm that matches this. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, you're sitting there going, well, we've got a few extra days here. Do you want me to spend this money on something that we might use every three or four years, or do you want me to pave a couple extra roads? There you go. And and it's it's, it's something that's there, but you 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 got plans in place. you got the procedures in place. You, know, right. you need to know what truck needs to go where and how to utilize them. So right. you got that plan, so that's good. But, Ken, you've had, you've had to, to face some of this as well, you know, with uh, equipment and things like that. Do you get uh, involved with the – does the state come in and help you guys a lot? On request. Okay. Yeah, yeah so that's – that's what the emergency operations center is for. Any large-scale disaster, and let's go. Let's put this in perspective. The December tornado was not a violent tornado. Destruction could have been much much worse. Had it been, it was an EF2 tornado. Had it been an EF3, EF4, and EF5, mm-hmm. we'd be looking at a totally different. I'm going to say all public safety agencies on a catastrophic event like a violent tornado within a certain period of time they deplete their resources. That's what the emergency operations center is for to call additional resources in from the state. And the thing about a tornado is it's in a path, so it's not widespread. the entire state. 
So we're able to, so EMS is able to activate the state EMS plan. We're able to request law enforcement. We're able to request fire and rescue, and we can go on with what we can request. But within a certain period of time, resources are going to be depleted. So when we do CERT classes, that's a community emergency response team training, we tell people, understand that the help you've called to get, if you can call, may not be coming for a while. Resources are depleted. Right. Well, it's when we talk about the the grid and, you know, how that was affected here. Of course, when the tornado came through, it took out a couple of those transmission lines over there at the dam. So that that really caused massive havoc because this this place was unbelievable. You've never seen it black. With that down here, it took two substations out. Yeah. The TVA lines could be rerouted. Mm -hmm. They they were going to be a while, but the two substations that it took out is what really hurt down here for NES. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything they're they're doing about that to make it better so it, it possibly doesn't happen? Is there anything you it, could do? It is what it is. No, actually, the the ballast from the railroad tracks, the rock, destroyed the porcelain insulators at those substations, or at one at the Hendersonville substation, mm-hmm. and knocked it out. So they wow. <laughs> they worked to get that back in in place. And again, they they did an absolutely amazing job. And I and I actually challenged people throughout the year get ready for work without power without without hot water it makes without. you realize how spoiled we are <laughs> yeah and how much we rely because, on just day to day yeah we could lose water we could lose the ability because of lifts because of pump stations to get water water is not as big an issue as power is the comforts that we have in getting ready to go to work so if you're in an area that was was not directly affected by a tornado those are some considerations you have to now i know state had issued a, a thing they have these warming centers did we have any uh, involvement had, in that here in summer County. Set up okay. County. I know we were pushing it on air. Let everybody know. Look, if you're out of power, you need to get get warm. You know, go to tn.gov and and check it out. But I think that's a great resource, and yeah, you know, hopefully people will take it into account and utilize it uh, if they do need it. There's a lot going on and a lot that that we have to do. And again, like I said, I don't want to downplay the December tornado, but could have been a lot worse. Be prepared for an EF3 and EF4. Yeah. Is, is my point there. Right. And there's no way to forecast that. You know, well, this time next year it's going to happen again. It just you just can't no. do it, but uh, no. but people I think are once you experience I think you you kind of put things into place. Let's not go through this again. You know, with the uh, the shelters where people are building like these these right. shelters in their yards and things oh, like yeah. that, uh, which I think is incredible if you could afford to do that. Well, we did that 20 years ago. Put a storm shelter in and had it wired for electricity and have a TV in it. <laughs> you know, and it just become it become the staging area for our whole everybody that lives around. I've had 15 people in it. Yeah, you know, really. We'd go down in it and and just watch the news and sit down there until it was all clear. Yeah, wow. And uh, it was something that never regretted spending that money, Jeff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And two, you know, the the generator companies are really loving this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They're making a fortune. You know, you get those uh, Generac, you know, those big old monsters that come in. But I guess people don't realize it's not just putting that unit in. you got to buy the contraption that hooks up to the house. They they. They come with a transfer switch. And okay, do they? You buy the package. Yeah, All right. you do. Well, we, you have to have it wired specially, though. You have to have it. Yeah, I had one installed, and it runs off the the gas that I've got coming to my heating unit, mm-hmm. and it kicks on. I think one time a week, and runs for maybe ten or fifteen minutes, and then it's uh, it's all good. You know, so as this uh, these storms and these things keep th- being thrown upon us, that you know, if you plan for things. But you'd still have to make it adjustments. And as we mentioned before, when we had the tornado interview, are there things that you kind of learn when you come into these situations that you, you just have to take and reevaluate what you just did? Yeah, we've actually got an after-action review plan. We had it planned for the day it snows, and and I rescheduled that for for uh, January sixth. Okay. So we're going to do an after-action review, and we'll have everybody that was involved come in, and and we'll have a series of questions. Okay. And allow time for each jurisdiction to discuss it, and then we'll talk about it. And right. we'll see, we'll do lessons learned, and we'll adjust our plans and our thinking from that. Okay. And uh, and it should be very valuable. So, Ken, for you with EMA, how would uh, people find you and get some more information about um, what you guys do? www.summerema.org. Okay. And uh, our phone number's on there, and we generally have staff there 8 to 4, 4.30. 
and uh, depending on what's going on, our website's okay. the best way to, best okay. way to reach us. And you're on social media, too, so, I mean, oh, yeah. people are just scrolling yeah. all the time. Same way with Toby. And, of course, we know how to find you. Yeah. <laughs> just type in Roads. You're going to see well, Toby Ellis. Well, I'm going to tell you, people know, people know my cell phone number, my email address, and that's good because I, I reply to everybody. Yeah. Well, listen, guys, I, I just want to thank you uh, so much for all the work you did. I know you, you've taken a lot of criticism and a lot of slack, but, listen, uh, there's no way anybody's going to deny what a great job you guys have done uh, through both of these incidences, and we totally appreciate you, and thanks for coming in. One yeah. thing I want to say is I just want to thank the people in Sumner County that did support us with the kind words. It was it energized my men, and we definitely definitely passed the good word on to our crews, and it helped us get through That's this right. tough time, and thank you all for your patience. Great. All right, let's wrap it up for this segment of Sumner County Spotlight. Stand by for more right here with Jeff Shannon, Sumner County Spotlight. Thanks for listening to Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program heard each and every Sunday right here on WHIN. Or you can listen on our podcast page at whinradio.com. If you'd like to become a sponsor of this program, reach out to me, Jeff Shannon, at jeff at whinradio.com. Well, welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight. Your host, Jeff Shannon, right here. we got this Sunday morning just jamming away with tons of information. And I came across this gentleman, and I, I was just fascinated with this topic and because I think it's so in the forefront these days. And when you th- start thinking about so much of America being obese, overweight, it's just mind-blowing as compared to other countries. Uh, I found Dr. Jamil Abu Hanna right here, and Dr. J... He go. He's probably. He's, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to bring you in, and thanks so much. I know how busy you are, uh, but thanks for coming That's in. Right. Let's talk. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate being here and uh, having the opportunity to talk about. You know, like you said, this epidemic of obesity that we're seeing in our country, and honestly, a lot of other countries around the world. And I, you know, I typically go by Dr. Jamil, but whatever floats your boat. Right. <laughs> so explain what your specialty is, what you do, yeah. uh, and how you got here. Absolutely. So I'm from Peoria, Illinois, which is, you know, a town about the size of Hendersonville in central okay. Illinois. And I was looking for opportunities to become a bariatric surgeon and take care of patients with obesity around the country. And I had actually reached out to the administration at TriStar Hendersonville to see if they were interested in starting up a bariatrics program. When I looked around the area, there's a lot of um, great programs down in Nashville, but nothing really in the North Nashville area. Mm-hmm. So when I reached out to them, they loved the idea. I offered, kind of told them about my services and what I could offer for the community. And it kind of took off from there. Okay. Um, so that was really started in March, and now we're January 2024, so about eight months later. Right. So you're located at TriStar in the in the medical building at this point, right? Yes. Now, so explain to everybody, first of all, what is bariatric sure. and what that involves yeah. and the other things that you specialize in. Absolutely. So I am a general surgeon and a bariatric surgeon. So what that means is I underwent medical school. I did a five-year residency training in general surgery. That's things like taking out gallbladders, appendixes, mm-hmm. you know, trauma, colon cancer. So a lot of those diseases that we see in the abdomen and in the chest as well. Mm-hmm. And so I did five years of that, but my passion has always been for treating obesity. Since medical school, I've been wanting to do this because I worked with a bariatric surgeon in med school. Now, a bariatric surgeon is basically a surgeon that treats obesity through surgical ways. We have different surgical options, which I'll talk about later to address that. So then I did a fellowship. A fellowship is a one-year program where I do extra training. Basically, I did about 360 cases or 360 surgeries, doing sleeves, bypasses, revisions, taking care of those patients before surgery, because there's a pretty big process before surgery and after surgery. So, you know, I spent in a five-day work week, two days in the clinic, seeing these patients before and after, and then three days in the operating room, learning how to do the operations. And, you know, the way it's going, you have a lot of job security. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Yeah. So that's, it's a great point. I mean, I think this is the biggest battle that we have in healthcare in the United States, and and I think we're not doing a great job of it, to be quite honest mm-hmm. with you. And we can do better. That's my goal. Now you don't get into dietary instruction and things like that, right? I do. Okay, that's a great question. So, right. in my opinion, and I tell all my patients this, we've been telling them that since my fellowship, the success with any kind of weight loss modality, whether you do medications, whether you do surgery, whatever, or if you don't want to do either of those is diet and exercise and behavioral change. So my program is very dietitian intensive. And I have done that on purpose because we see patients that have had a gastric bypass and many people in the community have seen that as well. And they gain the weight back and you start to wonder why. You had this great operation. You've lost 80% of your excess weight loss at first and then Mm -hmm. you gain this weight back. Well, it comes down to diet, exercise and behavior. At the end of the day, those three things are so important to success in any type of weight loss in the long term. So 
my patients have to see a dietitian at least twice in our program. And I've become strict on that because I want them to succeed. I mean, it's, it's important. You know, you can't just get a surgery and a medication and expect like, I'm going to keep this weight off forever. Yeah. So somebody might come in and say, well, look, I, I just want a, a, the bypass so I can do this really quick yeah. versus all the other. But before they get to that point, yes. you know, they've got to go through the education process. And look, so just so you understand, whatever we do with the bypass is not going to do anything if you're going to continue your lifestyle. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so the insurance companies are kind of strict on that already, Mm -hmm. but my program is as well. And many, many good programs are, you know, we have to see them at least three times before with a dietitian before surgery. Um, We also start to work on behavioral modifications from visit one. I mean, there are so many things that we can change about people's diet just and teaching them how to eat better how to start thinking about the food they're looking at, how to start thinking about, do I really need to eat this? Or what is this soda? Or what is this sugar-free drink doing to my body? How does it affect my glycemic mm-hmm. index? How does mm-hmm. it affect my horm- my gut hormones? So we're actually doing a lot of education prior to surgery and after surgery with these patients to really teach them what it is that they're actually doing. Now, if we can just get the, uh, the food industry to uh, kind of straighten <laughs> themselves out instead yeah. of filling everything with crap. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's my uh, one of my mentors, that does non-surgical weight loss that I worked with through my fellowship, you know, we had this discussion like in the, unfortunately in the grand scheme of things, this does seem like a losing battle because these guys are so powerful. I mean, Mm -hmm. I moved here and I drove down that main street and I saw like in one corner, a Taco Bell, what's something called a cookout or cookout or something, Yeah, something here. And then Burger King all like within like the same square. And then you can just drive down that whole road and it's just fast food everywhere. Yeah. Come through, load up (laughs) on the fat stuff, man. Exactly. You know, I think there have been some places and, you know, different restaurants that have come here to Hendersonville that are doing quite well and they're providing healthy options and uh, those kinds of things. But I think it's just people's lifestyle. If you look at it and you look at different parts of the country and I think they've, I've seen stats where they've said, you know, which states are the most obese. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have you seen any of that? I, I just so uh, recently was given a seminar yesterday, actually, for, for our program. One of the stats I was looking up from the CDC. So 10 years ago, when you looked at, and this is straight from the CDC website, 10 years ago, when you looked at obesity in America, okay, the number of states that had a prevalence, in other words, a percentage of over 35% of obesity in that state, zero states had over 35% 10 years ago. Now we're at 22 states out of 50. So almost half have a prevalence of over of obesity of over 35%. Tennessee itself is around 39%, and that's the 2022 data. Mm-hmm. When you look at adolescents, p- kids, you know, our kids, our children, ages 12 to 17, yep. they're at a rate in 2019 from their data of 19%. So I'm sure after COVID and the last four years, that's gone up. That's well, a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's Let me huge. tell you, and, and when you said that, I'm so glad you said that because the thing that, that bothers me, and I see all these young girls, the young guys that are just so overweight. Yeah. I mean, severely that the parents are not looking at this. How can my child, you know, yes. well, all of it runs in the family kind yeah. of deal, but it, no, it could stop. No, absolutely. So my mission in life, honestly, and, and I've gone through this myself, just the education, you know, so we have two great things right now that are going on. The transmission of information, social media online, you know, is really powerful if we're getting the right information. So we, we need to educate our society and mm-hmm. our even just Sumner County, just to start on better habits. Why is diet soda? Why is Coke zero? Why are all these things like, not great for you. Like, what should your calorie intake be? What should, what kind of nutrients should you get in your food? Now, that doesn't include the, IPAs. Is that correct? That's, uh, exe- that's exempt from I the, can make uh, an exception this, for that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's, you know, that's another one. Like, you know, I count, I talk to people about like, you know, how, how many drinks do you have throughout the week? Did you realize this has this many calories? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. so really have to do a lot of education, start from the ground up, not the other way around. And healthcare yeah. right now is trying to tackle things by putting out fires, you know, not really stepping back and being like, why are, why is our population so unhealthy? Why do we have all these metabolic syndrome and all these things that we come up with? Mm-hmm. And it's because we, we need to take a step back and look at our nutrition, look at what we're feeding our children and our, our families, you know, and that's, that's what's important. And, and you know, everybody says, well, it's just so much work because you yeah. know they have all these diets that have come out the keto this blah 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 yeah. and some people i think they go overboard with that stuff absolutely and of course then they want to preach over preach to everybody else that yeah. the, you know 
you're you're just going to die if you stayed eating that stuff. Well, yeah. it could happen, but but you can also die from eating this stuff if yeah. you're going overboard. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think it's a happy medium. It is, and so these you know they call them the fad diets. I mean that those things in in my opinion and and what we have seen is that they don't work. And why is because it's hard to maintain that kind of keto or whatever lifestyle long-term. Mm-hmm. You really put yourself on this like very strict regimen. Well, our philosophy is, my program's philosophy is that we want our patients to make small changes over a long period of time. And they'll hear me, hear me say that every time I see them. And we've, we're creating a regimen actually that works on not only dietary changes, but behavioral changes that they can do. Let me give you an example. I have a lot of patients come in and I do actually a food log with them, okay? And we spend five to 10 minutes going over that food log. Mm-hmm. There are some very obvious patterns that I've seen just with a lot of people in general in the United States, not enough water intake, the zero sugar drinks or sodas, okay? And then you look at the behaviors. So I ask a very common question I ask, and they put this, they're honest with me on their evaluations on these food logs, snacking after dinner, okay? These are two to three easily modifiable habits that we can change in a one month period. And so I'll have these patients work on that after my visit with me, whether they're doing surgery, whether they're doing non-surgical weight loss, whatever it may be, we start with those dietary and habit changes, very simple, small things that will make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Then they see the dietitians and they dive into it deeper. And then they see me, you know, so we're we're creating this plan, this plan basically to get these patients to do very small changes over a long period of time to become successful. And that's what it, that's what it really comes down to. So some of the the areas that you would specialize in, of course, the, the, with the weight loss and things like that, if all the things you carry, first thing people are going to ask, does insurance cover this? Great question. So let's break it down a little bit since you brought it up with the insurance company. So what we're offering is non-surgical weight loss and surgical weight loss. So what does that mean? Well, Let's start with surgery. The surgical options include what I offer in my practice, and I'm sure this will evolve over time as we, we've kind of developed some more recent new procedures that people are doing. But the main ones in the United States right now is the sleeve gastrectomy and the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass. Now, people have some stigma around these procedures because they know family members, they know other people. Hey, they had a big incision, they did terrible after this, they gained all their weight back. I've, I've heard a lot of things. And you know, to be honest, some of those things are true. Like we did big incisions. People left the hospital day five, day seven back in the day. They were nice to you afterwards. We have come such a long way from that. My fellowship was focused on minimally invasive bariatric surgery. So we did laparoscopically or robotically small incisions, do the surgeries in about anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes, safely, minimal complications. They were out the next day. Mm -hmm. All right. It's great. I mean, we've come a long way. And so really the surgical part is the easy part. So when you talk about insurance coverage, interestingly enough, about, I think it's 23, the last I read, 23 states in the United States have actually mandated approval for bariatric surgery. The other states like Tennessee, not all insurance companies cover it. It's a tough situation for Mm -hmm. the patients because a lot of them seek this out. On the non-surgical side, the new medications, the GLP-1 medications like Osempic, Wagovi, Zepbound, Manjaro. In the next segment, I want to talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Those also, you know, the the insurance coverage is spotty on a lot of those as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really taken my office a lot of work to do the prior authorizations, get approvals, then do the appeals if they don't approve it. So it's tough, unfortunately. That's probably the biggest issue that we have. Well, we have a, a pretty large elderly population here. Yeah. How does Medicare fit into your plan? So Medicare, you know, I haven't figured out exactly their pattern of approval, right. but it's, again, we just kind of do the same process. I do think they're probably gonna be less likely to cover it. But Is this more considered elective surgery? Oh, I'm sorry. You're talking about the, the surgical side of things. Yeah. Well, um, that, yeah. I mean, if they have to have surgery, is yeah. Medicare going to you know say, well, for your health reasons, we got to do the bypass yeah. or we have um, to do the sleeve or whatever you have to do. Yeah. yeah. So age is not a contraindication, meaning oh, it's not okay. a reason to not do surgery. Okay. We've done surgeries on people like, you know, at 70 years old. Um, I do think the insurance companies will cover that with Medicare. Okay. All right. But, well, look, th- this thing I'm telling you, we could talk for hours yeah. <laughs> on this because there's just so much involved in it. And, you know, trying to change people's habits, that's, yeah. you know, we know how hard that is because yeah. people get in their, their ways and it's it's hard good to do it. But uh, we're going to continue our conversation. We're talking with uh, Dr. Jamil Abuhana uh, right here uh, based out of TriStar Medical Center Medical Complex, I guess. The yes. office is right next yep. to it there. So we've got tons of information to cover as Stick around. I hope you will, because we wait till you see what we're going to be talking with next uh, segment. This is Jeff Shannon. Say, stand by. We'll be right back with more of Sumner County Spotlight. You've been listening to Sumner County Spotlight with Jeff Shannon, a public affairs program heard right here at WHIN. You can also hear this broadcast and other episodes on our podcast page at WHINradio.com. And if you'd like to appear on this program, just send me an email to Jeff at WHINradio.com. Stand by. We'll be right back with more of Sumner County Spotlight.
Okay, we're uh, back with more Center County Spotlight here with Jeff Shannon, and we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Jamil here. He's a uh, general and bariatric surgeon. Sounds official. <laughs> <laughs> and look, we've been talking about, uh, you know, obesity, weight loss, and things of that nature, and then some of the drugs that go along with it. And, you know, the first thing that, that comes to mind, of course, is Ozempic <laughs> yeah. and uh, derivatives thereof, I guess. But uh, tell us a little bit about that and, and what, the, what the problems are with those. Absolutely. So these are great medications that have been around actually for some time now, but have what we noticed, for example, with Asembic, which is used to treat diabetes, is that people are having pretty good weight loss results with it. So then it got rebranded as Wigovi. And since then, we've now have Manjaro and Zepbound. Zepbound is the most recent one that's come out. And so these are the, called the GLP-1 medications, you know. And so they are basically gut hormone mimickers that lead to some pretty significant weight loss. Does it suppress the appetite? Is that what it does? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it suppresses the appetite of the brain, also at the gut level, okay. and you know, takes care of something called food noise, which is just that constant desire to like eat um, and ruminate and think about food. And so I've had patients that I've started on it that you literally tell me they have to remind themselves to eat, even with the lower doses. You know, mm-hmm. um, And basically the way it works, the patients come in, we have to do an evaluation, and we talk about the medications if that's something they want to do. And then we prescribe the medication. The side effects typically, kind of the big ones are nausea, constipation. Some patients get super nauseous and and, uh, we have to prescribe them antiemetics or like something like Zofran basically to help with that. But the other side effect that I talk about a lot with the patient, I call it the third side effect, is the cost and availability. As I'm sure many people have heard, you know, the cost of these medications can be astronomical up to $1,000 a month. Well, farmers on board with that, they go, man, this thing's popular. We're, yeah. we're making everything get a killing <laughs> Oh, yeah, this. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, they've actually started like a direct to patient system, like Eli Lilly just started that, where the patients can go to their website and, and get an evaluation by a physician and, and get uh, the medications. I don't know the full details of that just mm. yet. They just announced it. Yeah. But but yeah, so I mean, it's definitely obviously a profitable thing for these insurance companies. Now, the medications work. I mean, for the appropriate patient, I think they do a great job. Mm-hmm. So here's the kind of the big thing with them. A monthly prescription and a weekly injectable. Okay. So you get the medication. Of course, you got to go through the prior authorization process. And then sometimes that takes an appeal and you got to make sure your insurance company will cover it. And what's the price and how much will the insurance company actually pay and what the patient, you know, has to pay. It's very complex. So I typically tell people just expect, you know, at least 48 hours to a week before you actually get the medication in your hand if you can get approved. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then you get a weekly injectable and I'll see the patient's every month to start to increase the dose. When does it usually start kicking in? Right away. Take that first uh, first dose. Yeah. So you take that dose, patients will start to have, you know, the strongest effect in terms of like their symptoms and suppressing their appetites like right away. All right. Within a few hours, you know, they'll have some potential nausea, but the half-life is around five days. So by that fifth, sixth day, they'll start to kind of feel the effects of it wear off. It would seem to me, and I was looking at this, if it suppresses your appetite, you're not consuming enough calories, enough protein, that would seem to be dangerous in itself because you're not getting enough to the body to sustain itself. Uh, yeah, I mean, so there's a few ways to think about it. We weigh in excess. excess. So if you, I have my patients see the dietitians, right? It's mm. important because they'll actually go through like, okay, this is actually how many calories you need in a day. And I actually also have them do a food log for at least a week. And the reason why is I want them to get some insight into to what they're eating. And I'll, and mm. I'll kind of bring this back to what you were saying. And you'll see, like you're, if you're eating three or 4,000 calories a day, you don't need to be close to that. So <laughs> if you cut it, cut it down to like 1,000 to 1,200 a day, yeah. you're in a good calorie deficit that you probably need if you have obesity. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I do tell the patients like, yes, try and remember to eat two or three meals a day, high protein, you know, lean protein. And, and, and they work with the dietitians to kind of figure out what it is they're supposed to eat, try and stay hydrated. But to answer your question, I, I think most of those patients will actually be okay in terms of that right. kind of calorie restriction. Because I mean, I'm sure they have to be a certain level before they qualify for yes. the Ozempics and that great, kind of great, thing. Uh, great point as well, actually. So it's typically a BMI of 28 with a uh, comorbidity or 30 um, for the medications. Okay. Now, I am running into this issue with like certain insurance companies where they've bumped up the BMI threshold at like 35. Really? You know, and so that's where you have again, you go into an office that actually can look into the details of your insurance company and do the prior authorization, figure out why you can or cannot get it 
approval for this. Again, they're seeing dollar signs. They're seeing dollar signs. Yeah. And insurance companies are seeing dollar signs leave their pocket because of how expensive the medications exactly. are. So yes. like, <laughs> and same with employers, you know? So it's, it's, it's just, for such a great drug, it can be a huge burden to get them approved and get them mm-hmm. in patients' pockets. So I was just sitting here thinking that, you know, if somebody is thinking to themselves, you know, I got to make a change. Yeah. I, I've got to figure out what's going on with me or my child. Did you handle children as well? I don't at this time. Okay. And I just, you know, at some point you have to kind of make some threshold. What I have done with a couple parents, you know, that come in and they want treatment for their child. I'll let them see my, di- at least have them see my dietitian. Okay. The medications, there are some centers that do like adolescence weight management. They get special certification for that. But they do surgery on children? They're, yeah. So that's yeah. what I was going to talk about is, okay. is great question. They they will actually, but I, but okay. I truly think I would go to a specialized center to do that. Yeah. You know, my ment- I, I don't know how evidence-based this is to be honest with you, but my mentality is if you're still in your teens, like we can work with you to change your behaviors. Mm-hmm. You're still a malleable right. person. Like we can yeah. change your behavior early on without medications, without surgery. And I've had a few 18 year olds come in and, and that's what I tell them. I was like, listen, you're still young. Let's try w- without medications. Let's just educate you on what you're doing. You can make a change in your life through behavior, diet, and exercise to really tackle this. Sure. Now you've had to, you know, see a, a lot of people during your course of the career and it just has to feel good that you initially <laughs> see them and see where they're at. Then you work with them. Then they come back in and you see like the final results of what you've done. It's like, I just saved that person's life. <laughs> <laughs> I love being a physician. I love being a surgeon. You know, I chose surgery, general, even general surgery. I take a lot of general surgery call at the hospital. Um, I do elective general surgery as well. Um, and then obviously my weight loss practice. You know, I think it feels good for the patient too. I want to be a part of their success story. They're doing the hard work. Basically, I just tell them the point is the success really relies, it depends on them. I'm there to give them my 50 per, my 50% of the equation. Mm-hmm. They have to give me the other 50%, you mm-hmm. know? And so whenever they succeed, especially with weight loss over a long period of time, I'm happy for the patient. You know, it's, yes, it feels good for me, but I want, I want them to realize like you put in some hard work, you've made some changes. Um, this is great, you know, keep going. And then the big thing again is just teaching the discipline, staying motivated, like really making those small changes that will add to every visit and seeing that long-term success. Now, I know you've probably had these patients that have come to you and they've already consulted with not a professional, but we're talking about Dr. Google. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they think they know everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I Google a lot of things that are not related to healthcare and I try mm. and read about stuff. And so I understand and I get mm. it why they do it and they want to learn about something that's bothering them. And that to me means that they have really are starting to invest in, in this process and are starting to try and learn about like, why am I obese? Like what's going on? So I think it's it does show that the patient is somewhat invested. You got to start somewhere. You got to yeah. start somewhere. But I then I try and show them the evidence and like this is what I've learned. This is why explain to them why Google told you this or why I think you should do this. There's a lot of diets out there that they can read about. There's a lot of marketing about mm. these like fad diets and and workout regimens and these other things like there's so much out there about this health culture and I'm trying to stick to the evidence that you've seen in these big journal, you know, journal articles and, and using that and using professionals like dietitians and surgeons and mm-hmm. medical obesity medicine physicians to really get the accurate information out there. That's yeah. kind of one of the biggest things I think that's important. So what if uh, somebody wanted to find you? Yeah. You're on um, socials, a website? Yeah. So my TikTok is probably the biggest social media avenue I've used. I also have an Instagram. It's, I'll be honest, like I want to get on social media more and more. I just started my practice three months ago. So it's just a lot of work running a Full-time practice, job. being on call and trying to do social media. Yeah, but my yeah. TikTok has been the probably the one I've used the most and I'm under bariatric bro. So that's B-A- oh. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yeah. So B-A-R- I-A-T-R-I-C, bro, uh, B-R-O. So, you know, yeah, I've had some some great success with that. I finally reached the over 1,000 follower mark. It's been a good way to just get information out there. And people ask questions and leave comments. And so I just try and respond to their comments as best as I can. Well, it seemed to me you, you could probably produce a, you know, a lot of educational, informative videos. Yeah in a short form to, to really people would cue in on because yeah. people are always questioning, why am I overweight? Why is this happening? You know, this kind of thing where they can go and and, and do that and, and learn from what you're putting out there because uh, you have so many topics to talk about. <laughs> it's, it's you know, and I'll be honest, man, like it, there are new articles coming out. So it incentivizes me to actually read those articles and learn. I just did one last week on the Wall Street Journal came out on an art, with an article based on a couple of studies that have been done recently. And uh, they reviewed a bunch of 
studies, but we're seeing a significant increase in cancer in people my age, like in their thirties, mm. born in the 1990s. And I have seen this firsthand. Unfortunately, I mean, just a perfect example, my classmate from med school just got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Wow. It brings up a couple points. One, I just didn't talk about that a lot on my TikTok. I did a two minute video just about, again, we don't know exactly why this is happening, but I can guarantee it's a, you know, related to obesity, processed foods, et cetera. Great way to bring out information. Keeps me up to date. I love that. I want to read. I want to learn more because I'm always a lifelong learner. But this, the second thing is from that article, I already have been doing this, but I've realized the importance. Like I ask almost all my patients, have you had a colonoscopy and have you done a mammogram if, if they're female? You know, these are easy preventative things that we can do. And I can talk to my patients about to just make sure they're, it's not just tackling like, hey, one aspect of my life in terms of my health. It's tack tackling all of it. I'm getting my screenings done. I'm making sure that I, I'm, I'm preventing myself from getting colon cancer, at least catching it early breast cancer, all these things that are actually related to obesity, mm -hmm. but also are preventative medicine in some regards. Right. Well, I mean, it's it definitely something that people start thinking of. Just as you were, were talking, I said, I got to call to make an appointment. <laughs> you do. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, just it's just so important. These, to these are preventable things. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of them don't even require surgery. And, mm -hmm. and why would you put yourself, you know, at risk for those cancers that really can, you know, take you away from your wife's, husband's, kids? And it, it just makes me sad when I see that, you know? Well, I'll tell you, I remember my first colon Anoscopy, I said, that was the best sleep I ever had. Yes. <laughs> and I, it's like, man, I slept days here. <laughs> I just had one in July because we've seen this so often yeah. in young young people now. And I needed a nap so bad. It was like the best <laughs> hour apparently of my life. So, Well, now we know why uh, Michael, uh, you know, yep. anyway, another story. Uh, so with the, the other aspects of, of surgery that you do, yeah. you're doing the appendix and this, that, and the other. Yeah. So if somebody needs something like that, would that come from the hospital as a consultation or would they come to you? Uh, how would that work? How, however they want. I mean, I take consultations from primary care doctors that send me gallbladders okay. or, or uh, the hospital when I'm on call. They, yeah, I get a lot of cases, uh, surgeries from that as well. we got some great docs in this community, Absolutely, man. I mean, yeah. there really are and a lot of great folks that really care about the community. I've met so many of them that are just so informative and you're there to help. Access this help, folks. Absolutely. Come on, you it. They can reach me through, I have a website, TennesseeStyleWeightLoss.com. I can give my office number if you'd like. It's mm -hmm. uh, My office number is 615-492-6116. Reach out to me on social media. You can actually go to the HCA website and that'll typically trigger like a question or a referral to my office. So they just go to the, the website and try and schedule that way. At this point, I'm really trying to create their center of excellence around bariatric surgery. Right. Yeah. Um, so most of my cases will be at that hospital. Well, and this also, just search bariatric bro. Yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. take a risk with that one, but I love it, honestly. No, I, I think it's great. People remember it. That's, That's true. That's gotta, true. <laughs> gotta have a hook there for sure. Exactly. What are you seeing in, in just a few minutes we have left? What is the new and upcoming thing? This, you know, these medications are the new and upcoming thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually doing a seminar, what I call grand rounds or a continuing medical education discussion on where does bariatric surgery lie with these new medications, the GLP-1 agonists, because it's basically uncharted territory for all of us, bariatric mm -hmm. surgeons, medical weight loss people. These are newer medications, finding out side effects. We're finding out how much weight loss, you know, we have the studies that have been done, but a lot of, I think what's being done is combination therapy between the two. Okay. So that's what I'll be talking about on February 22nd at TriStar Hendersonville Medical Center. Well, it sounds incredible and it's great information. And again, thanks so much for coming in with this because it's it's so informative and Absolutely, so yeah. important for people. So we've been talking with Dr. Jamil Abu Hana over at TriStar here in Hendersonville, yeah. general surgeon, bariatric surgeon, known as Bariatric Bro. I love that. <laughs> I, love <it. laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this uh, weekend of Sumner County Spotlight. Join us again next Sunday, each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and then on our podcast page at whinradio.com. This is Jeff Shannon saying, Shannon's the name, music's the game. We'll check you then, and so long. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening.